We'll now turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, and we'll begin reading at verse 23, and we'll read through chapter 5, verse 12. Matthew 4, beginning at verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers' diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatics, and those that had the palsy. And he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. And seeing the multitudes, he, that's Jesus, went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets, which were before you. So far the reading of God's holy law, or holy word. Dear church family, since the fall of humanity, in, which is recorded for us in Genesis 3, this world and the people that live in it, live in darkness. Matthew, quoting Isaiah 9, describes it this way. We are a people which sat in darkness, which sat in a region of the shadow of death. And we continue to see this manifest in our day. The reality is as true as it was for Isaiah, as true as it was for Matthew, it's true today. Darkness, evil, sin, wickedness are all around us. It's propagated without shame in our world. And our world's poets capture the darkness and the sense of hopelessness and the incredible loneliness that is experienced as a result of our fall. Listen to the words penned by in the 1960s by 
one group. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. In restless dreams, I walked alone, narrow streets of cobblestone, neath the halo of a street lamp. I turned up my collar to the cold and damp. When my eyes were stabbed by the flash of a neon light that split the night and touched the sound of silence. Darkness is an old friend, restless, alone, cold and damp, night and silence. Are these not the words of that, that describe millions and millions of people today? Maybe you. Are you alone? Cold? Feel like you're in the night? There could be people sitting even here within the house of the Lord who frequent it on a regular basis, who are in search of meaning, purpose, relationship. And the answer is, as it were, within your grasp. Now, the beauty of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is that light has and continues to penetrate this darkness. And we've remembered that in the past weeks as we remember the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ as he came into this darkness. He came into this world in human flesh. And yes, John tells us that he was not well received. He says, and the light shines in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Or he says, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. But nonetheless, Jesus came. He came into this world as the light, the way, the truth. And as as he came in, his voice opened up as he called out into the darkness. As we read in Matthew 4, verse 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he calls sinners out of darkness into his marvelous light. But he not only calls them out, but he, he sets aside time for those who he has called out to instruct them and to teach them what it is to live in the light, to, to be a member, a follower of him, to be a member of his kingdom. And it's in this context of calling out Sinners from darkness into light and, and teaching them about what the kingdom of heaven is that Jesus comes as the light of the world to instruct, to, to direct us to what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom, what it means to live as a member of the kingdom of heaven. 
And as we, as we come to our passage, and we're just going to be focusing briefly on Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2 this morning, as an introductory sermon to a series on the Beatitudes. We want to see that Jesus instructing his disciples, his followers, and we want to look at what was the occasion that initiated this instruction. Who are the recipients of the instruction that he was giving? And who he was as the preacher of this incredible discourse? And then what was the, the, the overarching message of the entire um, discourse from Matthew 5 to 7? It will be very surface level overarching as we dig into the Beatitudes. So the occasion. And Jesus, we read in Matthew 5.1, And seeing the multitudes, he, that's Jesus, went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and seeing the multitudes. It was, it was in seeing the multitudes that Jesus was moved to, to go up into this mountain, up into this hill, to begin teaching. Well, what, where were these multitudes from? Well, the immediate backdrop of the of this discourse, the what we, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, is there's a, a gathering of multitudes around Jesus. Now, why were these multitudes coming? They they didn't they weren't attracted to Jesus in some sort of vacuum. No, we have to go back to Matthew four verse seventeen where we read Jesus beginning his ministry as he, as he calls people to repentance. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we, as we move into verses 18 through 22, we see him specifically going to particular individual, individuals and saying, follow me. And we, we see him calling out a Peter and, and an Andrew and a James and a John. To follow him, to take, to leave what they were doing, and to to follow him. But then he 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 heads out into Galilee, and he continues. We read teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. But not just teaching and preaching; he was also healing all manner of sicknesses, all manner of diseases. And as a result of this, Matthew tells us, his fame went throughout all Syria. And there followed him a great multitude of people from all areas. Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond Jordan. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will have an impact. Jesus' words will will stir up in the people some form of reaction. The good news will, as it were, will send out waves like a children, like a pool or a stone dropped in a, a pond. The, the waves will ripple out towards the edge. It's going to the good news of the gospel that comes from this pulpit Sunday after Sunday will have an impact. 
in the church, in our communities, in our society, in our families. First and foremost, because of who Christ is, but the message that he brings is countercultural. It goes against the grain. It speaks of hope where there's no hope. It speaks of truth where there, where there, where we live in a world that's filled with lies. It speaks of a light in, in a, an incredibly dark world. Now these ways will not always be welcomed ways. There will be ways of opposition. Ways of ridicule. Ways of antagonism. Ways of doubt. Is this really the truth? Ways of skepticism. Ways of curiosity. As individuals seek maybe the potential blessings that are associated with Christ and his kingdom. Like the Jews who who follow Jesus, John tells us, for the bread that he supplied. But we trust also that as the gospel goes forth, there will be the waves, spirit-initiated waves that are sent out and that bear fruit in hearts and lives of sinners. Where sinners have a true and long desire, interest in the in the Lord, in the King of the Kingdom, to people who are in desperate need of hope and meaning for life. Whatever the reasons were for this crowd, this multitude to come and follow Jesus, we don't know, but we do know that there were there was a great multitude. And it was in seeing this multitude that Jesus goes up into the mountain and sitting down with his disciples, he opens his mouth and teaches. Now, he's not only teaching to people who are sitting in darkness. He's also teaching people who, who he's called, but yet people who are ignorant, who, who are in lack of a lack of knowledge, who are ignorant of who he is and who, of what the kingdom is. What it means to be a member of this kingdom. And what it means to be his follower. And so he, he goes up into the mountain and teaches. And it's still true today. The same occasion that initiated this sermon of people sitting in darkness and a people in need of teaching is the same today. It's the same thing that initiates the regular preaching of the word from, from this pulpit and from many solid churches around this nation and the world. There's people sitting in darkness. There's people in need of instruction. And it's Jesus who sees even us this morning as we gather. He sees the multitude as it were. Here in Grand Rapids, HRC, he sees today ones who have come up to the Lord's house at the beginning of this new year. He sees us in our darkness, in our hopelessness, in our need of light. He sees us in our ignorance, in our need of teaching. And he comes to us with, with words, 
instruction. And the wonder, the wonder of even that aspect is, by nature, we don't deserve that instruction. Doesn't his sight of the need of the, of these multitudes didn't lead to judgment or destruction, but it led to the gracious opening of his mouth to teach. And that continues today. As we've gathered here, we gather because the Lord our God is a gracious God. And he delights in sinners coming to know him. And to believe in him. To trust him. To rest in him. And he opens up his word for us once again today, this year. Now our text says that he had went up and his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them. Now, who is the them that Jesus is instructing? Is it the, is it the multitudes that he saw? Or is it the disciples that came to him and after he had sat down? Who, who were the recipients of Christ's teaching? I believe it's both the, the multitudes with a focus on Christ's followers. Or as Jesus went up, he, we read he was sat down. Or better translated, it could be he, was, he sat down. And his disciples then came to him. In Jesus' days, it was common for teachers to, or rabbis to, to sit down as they instructed their, their followers. So they would find a place. They would take, their, take a seat and their, their disciples would gather around them. Maybe some of our elementary uh, classes, your teacher sits down in, in the middle of the room, and you as, as students, you gather around your teacher. And in a similar way, Jesus sits down and his disciples came about him. He assumes a position of authority as he sits down. Now, who were these disciples, these followers of Jesus? Well, no doubt included Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But we know that for Matthew, Matthew himself was not called until Matthew chapter 9. So we're not sure if Matthew was here, part of this crowd, or not. And so the disciples here, is a, I think, is a broader term of more than just the twelve. But those who had heeded the call to follow Jesus, to repent, and to follow him, who had seen him as the light that had come into the world. And having seen the light, they desire to know more about him, to know more of him, who he is and what he was about. And so like Mary, who in Luke 10 comes, who was not distracted by the much serving, they come and sit at Jesus' feet to be taught of him. To understand who he is and what it is to follow him. And what kind of, who the people, the character of such ones that follow Jesus are. And and those characteristics, as he details for us in the Beatitudes, we'll, we'll look at in the weeks to come. 
But there are also those from the broader multitude who were who had heard of his fame, who had gathered there as well, who were desirous maybe to be made whole from diseases, torments. They too were found there listening to the instruction. At the end of Jesus' discourse, we read in Matthew 7, verse 28, that when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people, and it's a broader word than just disciples, were astonished at his doctrine. There was something about Jesus' teaching that made the general populace, the, the, the multitude, to, to sit down and marvel about what he had said, about the way that he had spoken it. For he was not like the religious leaders, for he spoke with, what, with authority. So Jesus comes, and he's, and he's teaching to all who came to hear, those who were his followers, and those who were interested, had heard something about him and had come, men and women, boys and girls, those who had education, those who were uneducated, those who had grown up in, in, in our day and age, who had grown up in the church, or those who have lived in the world and come for the first time. Those who had godly parents who instructed them in the ways of the Lord and those who did not. To those who were his followers and those who were not. And he continues to do so even till this day. He comes this morning and he he speaks to us this morning, to, to us who have relied on Christ alone for our salvation. Whether we've been on the way for many years, or whether it's just been recent coming to know him. But he comes also to those who, who've gathered here and have been members for years and years, and yet have never professed a a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you acknowledge that Jesus is real. That he's the Son of God. That he's the Savior of sinners. At least you do so with your mind. But it hasn't transformed a heart, your heart, for you haven't relied on him alone for your salvation. But he comes once more. And would that you know him. Not just know about him, but know him. It is to such people that Jesus comes this morning. That he sees. And in seeing, he comes and teaches. So we've seen the occasion. The, the vast multitude who are sitting in darkness, who are in need of instruction. We've seen the people that he comes to speak to. But now we want to look at who this preacher is. Now Matthew, Matthew gives us a, a, a beautiful picture of Christ as our teacher, as the ultimate preacher. He says, 
When he had set his disciples, when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Christ is the light of the world. He is the one who is truth, John tells us. And he is a preacher and a teacher par excellence. No one compares to him. He is altogether glorious. And from this passage, I want to just highlight three, three things that we see about Jesus as the great preacher of this discourse. And the first is that he is a compassionate preacher. He is a compassionate preacher. And seeing the multitude, he opened his mouth. It was his sight of this multitude, their lack of knowledge, their, their lack of understanding that moved the Savior with compassion to open his mouth and to instruct his followers. We often read this association of Jesus seeing something and a, then a demonstration of his compassion. Listen to it uh, for, for a minute from Matthew 9, verse 36. And when he saw the multitudes, Matthew then records, he was moved with compassion on them because they were, they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. Or Matthew 14, 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. Jesus, seeing the multitude, is moved with compassion to speak into their lives, to to make a difference in their desperate condition, whether it was physically or whether it was their spiritual condition. You can turn to numerous passages in the Gospels where over and over again we read of Jesus being moved with compassion towards sinners towards ones who were caught up in darkness, who needed, who had no shepherd, who needed one to guide them. To his own people, he was moved with compassion as people that but see, as it were, through a glass dimly. He's moved with compassion over the, the physical ailments of the people as he heals their diseases, but he is especially moved with compassion as he sees in their lives a people who are in desperate need of salvation. And so he teaches. He's moved with compassion to open his mouth and proclaim the everlasting gospel of peace to sinners. To speak truth into the lives of the people of God and those who don't know him. And today, at the first Sunday of 2024, we are privileged once more to come into the house of the Lord with his word opened in front of us. Because he is gracious and compassionate towards the people who are not worthy of the least of his blessings. Church family, do you see it to be your great privilege to be able to gather here each Lord's Day to hear from the Lord? To be under the word of God on a regular basis. 
Do you see the preaching of the gospel, the, the fact that we have a Bible that we can open and study and read from as a token of God's compassion and mercy towards us? Do you see it? Uh, he is not done with Grand Rapids HRC yet. And he has work to do in our midst this morning, this year. Don't take it for granted that Jesus has left his candlestick here. Make diligent use of the means of grace in 2024. See the preaching of the word, the gathering for worship, as his token of compassion toward us in 2024. And in the second place, we note that Jesus is a preacher who is intimately aware of the people that he's addressing. He's a knowledgeable preacher. And seeing the multitude. Jesus not only sees with compassion, but he sees into the very hearts and minds of those that he's speaking to. He has an intimate, a thorough knowledge of every single one of that multitude that was before him. He knows what each of his people need. He knows what word they need to hear today, next week, the week after. He knows whether it's a word of comfort and encouragement, whether it's a word of instruction, a challenge, whether it's a reproof or a a rebuke. He knows whether we need milk or meat. He knows whether we're caught up in darkness still, in the darkness of the sin of unbelief. He knows if our eyes have been opened or not. He knows whether there's a, a love for him He knows whether we're toying with sin or we're fighting it. He knows whether our zeal is cold, lukewarm, or hot, white flame. He sees. He sees into our hearts this morning. He sees into each and every one of us, and he knows us intimately. And he's able to bring a word that is suited to you in your particular need, tailor-made for you. Jesus, as the great preacher-teacher, as the God-man, knew the hearts of those he was speaking to. Now, we as pastors, we don't. We may know something about you. We may know something of your circumstances, the joys, the challenges of life. We may know something of the struggles with sin that you may be fighting with or dealing with. 
We may know something of the love that you have for the Lord Jesus Christ. We may know something of your desire to serve him. But we don't know the recesses of your heart. We don't know exactly what word it is that you need to hear on a given Lord's Day from Sunday to Sunday. But Jesus does. Our all-wise, all-knowing Lord knows who you are and is able to take his own word. And that's, that's our confidence as brothers, your pastors. That as we prepare messages, Lord's Day, week after week, to bring to you, that Christ will use his word to speak into your lives through us, his servants. He's told us, he's encouraged us, he's promised us that his word will not return unto him void, that it will accomplish the purposes for which it is sent. And that's our confidence week after week. So not only is Jesus the compassionate preacher, the all-knowing preacher, but he is the he is one that speaks with authority. He's the authoritative preacher. And when he was set down or sat down, Jesus assumed the posture of authority, of a, of a teacher of his day who spoke with authority to his disciples. Now, rabbis in that day would gather and would teach, and they would do so with, with authority. Now, Jesus teaches with more than just the appearance of authority, but he, but he speaks with real authority. He knew what he was talking about. He meant what he said. And he lived out what he taught. And we read at the end of this first discourse that he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He displayed by what he said and how he lived that he spoke and he lived the truth. For he was the truth. And he was calling his people to live out what they believed concerning him so that our actions match our words. He not only sat down as an authoritative teacher, but we read this and he opened his mouth. Now, this is a phrase that is often used in the Old Testament to introduce a significant or an an important pronouncement or teaching. For example, in Job 3, verse 1, after, after Job has had so much taken away from him, we see him sitting down in absolute silence, overwhelmed by what has taken place for seven days. And after the end of those seven days... We read, and after this, open Jobed his mouth and spoke. Or from Psalm 78, the psalmist says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. And then he begins to recount, as we sang from Psalter 213, the the ways of the Lord. Or Daniel, in response to seeing one like the similitude of the sons of men, 
who had touched his lips, Daniel then says, Then I opened my mouth and spake. Each one of these phrases of opening one's mouth precedes the telling of something of significance. And here Jesus, we read, and this is the only account where we read of the statement of Jesus, he opened his mouth and began to teach. Matthew is telling us that what's coming from the Savior's mouth is going to be important, significant. It's interesting that this takes place early on in Jesus' ministry as he opened his mouth and we never read of him closing his mouth. And that's an encouragement for us today in 2024 that Jesus continues to have his mouth opened, as it were, teaching us, instructing us. Oh, there were times where he was silent, where he didn't speak. When you think of those instances as he was on trial before Pontius Pilate, when it came to him defending himself, he was like a sheep before her shearers is dumb. But when it came to instructing his people, there was an open mouth to teach and instruct. So when Matthew tells us that he opened his mouth and taught them, we are called to sit up and listen, to pay attention, to wake up from our drowsiness, our stupor, our lethargy, And to pay attention. Because the King of Kings is speaking to us this morning. And he speaks with authority. But not only does he speak with authority, but his word is authoritative and life-changing. But what was this authoritative word that he speaks? This life-changing word. In this discourse that Jesus is about to begin with his, with this multitude, with his disciples, the central message, or one of the central messages or themes of this discourse is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he would address topics like who was in the kingdom and what, what it looked like to live in the kingdom of God. What it was to be a citizen of the king. Jesus had begun his earthly ministry, and it's a, this, this theme of kingdom is actually a theme that runs throughout the, the book of Matthew. Jesus had begun his public ministry with, with the command, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in verse 23, we were told that, of chapter 4, we were told that he was preaching the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. And the, the introductory beatitude speaks of the kingdom. For blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And one of the latter beatitudes, again, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Each of the Beatitudes, as we hope to consider, will speak to the characteristics of those who are members of this kingdom of heaven. 
But as we, as we continue to walk through this discourse of the Sermon on the Mount, we get a, we get a picture of not only the characteristics of the members of this kingdom, but then what it looks like to live in this kingdom. In verses leading up to verses 19 and 20, Jesus is calling us um, and telling us what it looks like relative to the keeping of the commandments, not just outward keeping, but this is really a heart issue. The kingdom of heaven is, is about where our hearts at are in relationship to him and how we then live out of Christ. And as he concludes that series of teaching in Matthew 5, verse 19 to 20, he he says, if you're going to live this way, if you're going to be citizens of this kingdom, whether they're men or women, boys or girls, you're not going to do it out of your own strength, out of your own self-righteousness, your own abilities. But you're going to be doing it out of thankfulness for what the king has done for sinners like you. For he says that your righteousness will need to exceed the the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. We may say, well, who can exceed that legalistic approach to living and the keeping of the law? And the answer is no one. Not in their own strength. Our Lord Jesus Christ did. He kept the law perfectly. If the Pharisees couldn't keep it with their their hundreds and hundreds of rules, we won't either. And we need someone greater. We need a righteousness that is not our own. We need Christ's righteousness. And when we have his righteousness, we will be ones who desire to live for him, desire to seek him, desire to to keep his commandments, not just out of a mere outward performance of them, but because our hearts have been changed and we love him and desire to serve him with the totality of our being. But then Jesus continues teaching in Matthew 6 what it looks like to live in this kingdom. He says, we're going to be it's not just going to be something that is in, in outward performances, but it's a heart issue. And it involves giving of our tithes, of our fasting and our prayers. And in, as, we, as we hope to hear tonight, our prayers are going to be centered around the kingdom. We pray that his kingdom will come. But Jesus knows the challenge. He knows what it is to live in this world. The difficulty that is going to, to be there. The, the temptation to serve two masters. To be, to have our foot in both worlds, as it were. And Jesus says, don't. He says, don't put your tents, tent stakes down too deep. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat or drink. As we read in Matthew, at the end of Matthew 6, 
So he calls us this year in 2024 to live with the reality that he exists, his kingdom is real, and if we're a follower of him, we're in that kingdom, and we ought to be looking for the king of kings for his return. Not to be caught up in the things of time or sense. Oh yes, we're called to live and we're called to take up our callings faithfully and diligently every day. To use our gifts and talents well here in this life. But to do so with, with as it were, with an eye to eternity. For this life is not all there is. Now, as Jesus approaches the end of this discourse, he he recognizes that there will be those who think that they're part of the kingdom. And they're not. And he issues a solemn warning at the end, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And so he calls us, as members of his kingdom, to self-examination. To ask ourselves questions. Are we a son or daughter of the King of Kings? Are we living in a way that reflects that? Over the next few weeks, we hope to examine the Beatitudes and we will be given a means by where we can examine our own hearts and lives. Am I, are you, a citizen of the kingdom of God? And if we are, are we living Are we living in a way that demonstrates that we are citizens? Well, may we have ears to hear from the King of the Church as He speaks to us this year. May we have eyes to see Jesus, the one who came into this world to call sinners from darkness to light. May we understand with our mind and our heart that Jesus sees us and knows us intimately and that he continues to speak truth into our lives, calling us to be more and more conformed to his image. May we hear him. May we know him. May we grow in our understanding of the Savior this year. And when we look back at the end of 2024, God willing, look back over the year that's passed. May we as individuals be able to look back and may we as families look back. May we as a church community look back and be able to assess and measure Has our love for the Lord Jesus Christ grown this year? 
Has there become a greater and greater conformity to the image of Christ in us as individuals, as families, as a church community? Do we, have we grown in a hatred of sin, seeing it to become more ugly and heinous as the days go by? Will we see a deepening hunger and thirst for the things of God, for God? This is our prayer for you as a flock, as a church family, this year in 2024. May the Lord in his grace and mercy, as the compassionate, all-knowing Son of God, the King of the church, hear our prayer and see us grow this year. Amen. Lord, we do pray that as a church family, we would, we would grow in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ this year. Whether it's for the first time seeing his beauty, his glory, his majesty, or over and over in a deeper and deeper way. May we grow Lord, as a church, as an individual, as individuals in conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. May we see this being evidenced in the way we live, the way we serve one another. May there be a growing in humility and Christ likeness. Lord, may we may we see more and more the ugliness and the heinousness of sin. That we would fight against it. That we would flee it. That we would not toy with it. That we would seek forgiveness for it and put it off. Fight it. Put it to death. And may our hunger for the things of God, grow. May we be more, have a greater and greater desire for the Word of God. That we would be men and women, boys and girls, who are people of the Scriptures, who are found opening it, studying it, longing for the Lord's Day to be here to worship the King of Kings. So may we grow this year, Lord, and may the King of the Church add his blessing on us. Lord, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.